Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hey everyone, welcome back to Breast Cancer Conversations. Just a quick shout out if you haven't checked out our website, survivingbreastcancer.org, please do so. We have a ton of events coming up over the next couple of weeks, so you can check that out at survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events, including our weekly Thursday Night Thrivers meetup. We meet up online via Zoom every Thursday at 7 p.m. So there are so many great ways to connect in addition to just listening to our episodes. So thanks. Let's dive right in. In this episode, we talk about a lot of heavy hitters. We start off talking about hormonal therapies, tamoxifen, aromatase inhibitors. This easily leads us to conversations about quality of life. And then we kind of back up a little bit and talk about Holly's surgery. I know we talk a lot about reconstruction surgery, and we may be familiar with deep flap, but have you heard of SCAP? We get into all of these juicy details today. So welcome to the conversation. Hormonotherapies can fall into two different categories, and there used to be a very divisive line in terms of are you premenopausal or postmenopausal. And if you were premenopausal, you were given tamoxifen, and if you were postmenopausal, you were given an aromatase inhibitor. Today, it's not as black and white. I know a lot of women, and speak to a lot of women who are premenopausal but are given an aromatase inhibitor along with a particular shot, whether it is Lupron or Zolodex to suppress the ovaries and reduce the estrogen in their bodies. So Holly, tell me a little bit more about your experience with hormonotherapies. So the the doctor, I could not go on tamoxifen. Um, one of the things that I had done was um, I had a genetic test done for blood clotting mutation that my mother has before I went into my lumpectomy surgery. Turns out that I have this blood clotting factor. It's called factor five lighting. So I could not go on tamoxifen because tamoxifen um, has a high rate of blood clotting with it. I was not in natural menopause. I was in chemo-induced menopause. And so my doctor said I would need to get a shot every month called Zolodex and could go on Arimidex. So I went in for my first shot and the nurse takes me to the room and she's like, okay, lie down and pull your shirt up. It's going in your belly. And I'm like, what? And that nurse um, gave me a shot of lidocaine to numb it. And then, you know, gave me my shot. It was a huge needle and she felt bad. And I'm sitting there going, "Hmm, I don't know about this. So my main cancer center was about 30 minutes away, but they had a, another branch about 10 minutes from my house. So I went there to get the second shot and they're like, Oh, we don't do that. We don't put, you, we don't numb you. We can't do that here. And I'm like, okay, I'm not doing this every month. I had had period issues before this started. So I had changed gynecologist, met with one, came highly recommended. And I talked to her and I'm like, let's just take this stuff out. I'm done. Um, I don't want to, I, I, I want to be moving away from this. For me, every time I go see my oncologist or see a doctor about this, it causes PTSD. It just, it just does. And I 
don't want that to be my life. I don't want my life to be treatments and scans and blood work. And I, I wasn't ready for that. Um, if I could stop it, I would. And my dad, when he was going through cancer, he said, let's just get rid of the bad guys. What do we have to do to get rid of the bad guys? He never said cancer with the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So that summer of 2016, after going through all my treatments, I had a full hysterectomy. I was so happy to have it done. I was on the Arimidex. Do you have any tips being on Arimidex? Was there a particular time of day that you took it? What were some of your side effects? I took it in the evening. Um, I didn't have really the side effects that some women have with it. Um, I probably had the side effects that you would have with menopause, with the skin dryness, the vaginal dryness, the hair dryness, the mood swings. Um, it was hard to tell if the mood swings were menopause or just everything else. It, even now, I, I, when I deal with things, it's like, well, is it the meds? Is it, what is it? I, I don't know anymore. It's a woman. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah. You know, and is it my thyroid? Exactly. And it's so challenging too, I think, being um, forced into medical menopause, right? I'm right there with you. We are younger women where we didn't have to go through this naturally. We got an abrupt wake-up call because of cancer. And to your point, Mm -hmm. specifically with breast cancer, the stories that we're listening to and personally experiencing is – you know, I think you said it so quote unquote elegantly in, or eloquently <laughs> in your in your story was what we are, you know, young at heart, but, you know, 20 year old boobs and an 80 year old body. And yes, I think that is so true. And whether our oncologist mentioned that early Mm-mm. on as like a side effect or in one ear or the other, their job is to kill the cancer, kill the bad guys to right. start medication, surgery or neoadjuvant chemotherapy or whatever your treatment plan is Mm -hmm. as soon as possible because we have Mm -hmm. cancer and that's all we can think about. I'm not going to say, oh, I don't want to do chemotherapy because I want to make sure that I'm maintaining my vaginal health. I'm like, I want to live so that I can maintain my vaginal health. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. But I think we're, we're aware of these longer term side effects. One thing that I'm constantly concerned about is osteoporosis. And I know that my doctors were doing a baseline DEXA scan, which does the scan of your bones, um, particularly, I think it was like my ankles and my hips um, and pelvic area to kind of get a baseline of how my bones are doing. And are they healthy? Are they starting to deteriorate a little bit? So that is something I'm getting, I believe every year. And just to measure are you getting similar scans to check the health of your bones now that you're on an aromatase inhibitor? Um, not, I'm mean, osteopenia. Okay. Um, but yeah, trying to manage that. And my doctor had suggested also going, switching from the Prolia to the Zometa, which he said would, uh, I think a once a year infusion. Um, but then I read about those side effects and I thought I'm doing fine on the Prolia. Why would I switch? Right. Um, and, and, and again, that's, that's the, do I try something new? Do I not try something new? Um, can I continue to manage this while I'm on the road, if you will? And yeah. it, um, you know, the Zometa would be easier for me once a year, I'm done. I don't have to think about it, but then those biphosphonates, I think that's a biphosphonate. Those have side effects too. And, Right. What happens 
what happened, you know, that's then that gets into the oral health and, and all of that. And people who haven't been through this don't understand all the things right. that we are managing and we become great managers of our care. And I have found women who go in and the doctors say, boy, I mean, you know so much about medical care and it's because we have to. Yes, we have to. And we don't have, we don't have a choice. And I think that too is like a catch 22. So here we are playing the whack-a-mole game to manage all of the side effects and the long-term side effects and the treatments. Now we're also, because this is longer term, right? This is part of Mm -hmm. the surviving plan. Right. We, I kind of see it as, while we always had a choice about surgery, chemotherapy, or radiation, I feel right. like we have more of a choice now because do we want to be on these pills for the next five to 10 years? Do we want to right. be on, like, this is more lifestyle and long-term and quality of life conversation. Like, Correct. What, what, what are the pros and cons for me personally that might be very different mm-hmm. than you, than very different from our listeners and other Absolutely. women who, who I love hearing about why they chose to stop X, Y, and Z and what their right. thought process was and how they came to those decisions. It's, yeah. I find it fascinating because my friend Liz, who did the chemo cold capping, she decided to stop the daily medication she was on. She said, um, I think she took it three or four years and she just had her five years, but her side effects were just, she's like, I just can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to sit back and think, oh, I do have that choice. Right. I can't say no. You know, yeah. yeah. I set myself that, up with like little benchmarks. I'm like, if I can get to five mm-hmm. years, and like maybe we'll yes. consider seven. But like, don't tell me that I'm going to be on this for ten years. That's not what we should be leading with, <laughs> right? It's a big pill right. to swallow, literally. Um, right. Totally. That's what happened. That's what that, that's what happened with me when the I went in for the follow up mammogram, the six month checkup, and I did the breast exam again, and I felt the same feeling on the right breast. Um, and the doctor did an excisional biopsy. He said, I got all the tissue out, but it's LCIS. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? He's like, well, it's not cancer. We don't call it cancer. I'm like, but there's a change in my tissue. Something's happening. And the oncologist said, well, now I want to switch you to aromasin for 10 years. Okay. And he said, we'll just watch and wait. And that whole watch and wait at some point you go, Hmm, wait, we're just waiting for this just to happen again. Um, And I heard what the doctor said about the survival rate is no different, whether you have a double mastectomy or you don't, the survival rate is no different. And I absolutely adore my doctors and they are men. And I think men are a little scared by women's bodies. They don't quite know what to do with us at times. They try, <laughs> bless mm-hmm. their hearts. They're dear, dear men. I love them to death. And my one doctor, my surgeon, he said, if you cannot compartmentalize this, I could see why you would want to go ahead with a double mastectomy. He said, I'm a proponent of not going through that surgery because it is so invasive. You know, it is, it is a lot. And why remove healthy tissue? And I'm thinking it's not healthy tissue. I hear that a lot in the community too, right? Like what doctor wants to operate on healthy tissue? But at the same time, I want to be presented with all of the information so I can make an educated choice. 
Correct. Correct. And the other piece of it was, had I opted for a mastectomy when I found the first cancer, insurance would have only covered the removal of one breast because I was not BRCA positive. Mm. And I have a, a dear friend who just went through this. She wanted both breasts removed. Her insurance would only cover for one breast being removed. And she's like, so now I have to carry the weight of my other breast on my back and my body. And I'm now I'm going to be, and she's being a nurse understood the effect it was going to have on her whole physical being, her knees, her back, the weight. And I never thought about that, Mm -hmm. but she was absolutely right. She was looking at it as a holistic approach. Um, And so when they found the LCIS with me and the opposite breast, now insurance would cover for both breasts being removed. And I was given the gift of time. At that point, I went to two plastic surgeons in the Clearwater area who were very reluctant to to do any surgery because of the um, genetic blood clotting factor. Never had blood clots. That didn't matter. They were very wary of it. The radiation, um, doing implants. The um, I didn't really want to do a surgery that would affect my tummy, you know, using that, that area. Um, the hysterectomy showed me how hard it is to recover from anything in the abdomen, even though it's technically not supposed to be getting into your muscles, it's affecting a lot in that area. Um, and it was then I went to MD Anderson, spoke with their plastic surgeon and oncologist there Um, they definitely were more open to doing, um, implants with me. They were not afraid of the blood clotting. So that to me showed me that the average plastic surgeon that women often use can be more reluctant to do things versus a specialist in the cancer field who's working only on breast cancer or BRCA positive women. Mm-hmm. And then I just happened to learn about, again, on breastcancer.org, the Center for Restorative Breast Surgery in New Orleans. And I joined their private Facebook group of women who are going there and asked all sorts of questions. Well, what is this? Who are the doctors? How do you schedule an eight, nine hour surgery with somebody you meet the day before? You've only talked to on the phone. Right. How, how do you mentally even do this? How do you travel? How do you, how do you navigate all of this? Um, And how do they handle the complications? You know, most of the women had positive stories, but I went into it wanting to know how does this this center, this group of doctors, handle it when a woman has a complication after surgery? And I heard about them flying women back in for corrections. If If their wound wasn't healing, they would fly them back in to fix the wound. There were, there were all of these different ways that they clearly had covered all their bases in, in any type of situation. You know, there were a few women who, in, in any case, weren't going to be happy. Sure. But the majority of the women, even women who had complications, mm-hmm. were very pleased with the outcomes that they had. And so I said, okay, let's do it. And I called them up and I scheduled my appointments and I spoke with the doctor, the breast surgeon who would do the man, the mastectomy part. And then I spoke with the plastic surgeon who would do the SCAP part. And the SCAP was basically removing 
the fat on the top of my buttocks on the hip region, which mm-hmm. I thought that's great. I'll take that. <laughs> and he, um, and he did say, um, they do the deep, which uses the tummy. They do the S gap. They do a full body lift, which is, um, the belly and the backside. Um, sometimes they'll use a small implant for, um, fullness. And what I learned going into it was it was so important for me to know what I wanted for my body. Because at the end of the day, they're still plastic surgeons and they're still going to want to make it a little bit bigger and they're Mm -hmm. still going to want to make it more perfect. And, um, I just want it done. Right. And I want it, I want it done. I want to know how we're going to do this. I want it minimal as minimal as can be. And that, that was, the way I took it, went into it. And the doctor said to me, um, oh, you know, I'm like 140 pounds, 5'10". He's like, oh, you got a lot. I can do the body lift. And I went, mm, no. I, I appreciate you saying that you could t- give me a tummy tuck, but mm-mm. So that was that piece I kind of had to g- get over because he's looking at it as, um, how do I make this super perfect? And I believe a lot of women opt for the tummy tuck, you know, more because that's the area they're most uncomfortable with. Sure. For me, it was my backside, it was my hips. So I said, you know, do the hips. I knew the pain would be less. Okay. Um, I knew I'd be able to stand up easily versus the women who talked about getting the deep. That was important to me. Lying on my backside after the surgery, it was fine. I was not super uncomfortable. Um, in order to, to prep for the surgery, I had to go in for a special CAT scan where they mapped out all the blood vessels. They needed to know what the blood vessels were to be able to connect them to the blood vessels in the chest wall. That piece was fascinating to me um, because it's called microsurgery. And what is different about this place versus going to an average plastic surgeon is all they do are these microsurgeries. They are specialists in this. They do not do uh, breast augmentation for women who want bigger breasts. It is only for women who are, you know, genetically positive or who are in the middle of breast cancer. Um, they reserve spots for women who have just been diagnosed. So, and they, they help you plan it out. They help, they have somebody who helps you with the travel arrangements, helps you find a place to stay. Um, the, the Facebook group of women also is just a, a, a fabulous group of women. Women connect. Are you going to be there for surgery on this day? Mm-hmm. Um, they connect you with Hope Lodge. Oh, great. Which yeah. when people travel for cancer treatment, Hope Lodge is a place you can stay for free through the American Cancer Society. So it's all of these little details that, you know, the more research we do, the more we find out and share the information. Yeah. Um, and so those little things too that take off the stress of something so stressful. So exactly. that's really helpful. Absolutely. Yes. And provide the support. So um, I did my surgery in June of 2017. Um, and it was about eight, nine hour surgery. And I had the drains. Uh, I had compression garments. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. Uh, the nurses were fen- phenomenal. They were just like my new friends. Uh, the care, care was great. Um, recovery was hard. I would say the, one of the things with breast cancer and having these major surgeries, I'm not sure a lot of people talk about it's getting physical therapy afterwards. I'm really learning that 
a good physical therapist that treats your whole body, not just the area of the surgery where you're having limited range of motion, understanding how your shoulder and the breast tissue and all of this helps your arm, but it connects down to your, your hips, regions, your glutes, all the way down to, you know, your legs and how you're walking. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm a huge proponent of finding a good physical therapist if possible to just do a full evaluation when you're done, because it can help with the osteoporosis, getting the weight bearing exercises. Yes. Um, some pe- I'm not a gym person. I do not like going to the gym. Just not my thing. So it was hard for me to try to, to find that, but having a physical therapist give me simple exercises I can do at home gave me a sense of achievement. Yes. I felt good by myself because I could do 20 minutes of exercise, but I knew I was helping myself and I was feeling good that I wasn't overexerting myself. I wasn't putting myself in a situation I'm uncomfortable with. Yeah. That's such a good point too. My, my mentality with exercise prior to my diagnosis, I loved it. I was one of those okay. gym rats and I enjoyed like yeah. all the activity. So when I found out I was diagnosed, I was like, how is this even possible? I right. you know, was slim and healthy and all of that. And now yes. I've gained so much weight because of the treatments. Mm-hmm. I'm re falling in love with my body, this new Yes. Metapausal, whatever you want to call it. Body. I know. <laughs> um, but exercise now has been reframed in my mind in terms of I'm doing this to help manage the lymphedema as a side effect that I had yes. when I was having my lymph nodes removed. I am using exercise right. in terms of bone health for osteoporosis. I'm using mm-hmm. exercise as preventative care for recurrence. Like it has now been like, if I don't do this every day, even if it is for like 10 or 20 minutes of something, I'm yes. doing myself a disservice as opposed yes. to, oh, I want to fit into that cute little black dress or, you know, a holiday is mm-hmm. coming up and I'm going to see some like old college friends. Um, It's more like, nope, this is for, it takes on a whole different reason for it me. It does. It really helps to start connect you with your body. Mm-hmm. Get you in tune with your body versus, oh, I'm doing this because I, you know, like you said, to fit into a dress or whatnot. Now mm-hmm. it's, it's a whole mind body connection that, mm-hmm. It's, it's taken me even a couple of years coming out of breast cancer. It was actually my, my broken ankle that really started to solidify it for me through that healing process. Um, you know, and I love the people who go to yoga and they have that full connection through the yoga. And I think women have to keep exploring different options to find what's going to work for them. And then, like you said, going to the gym worked for you for so long, but now you've got to reframe it. Mm-hmm. Right. Now it's it's a whole new meaning and that's it's actually beautiful. Yeah, our absolutely. Body. I've I've now yeah. like instead of doing very aggressive type not aggressive, that's not the right word. Um I would say like high impact yoga, right? I loved mm-hmm. going to like the Bikram yoga classes or the hot yoga yeah. and utilizing it as a workout. And now I'm like, you know what, it's okay to meditate, sit mm-hmm. still and breathe. Which I would have been like, oh my God, this is not even considered like a workout and I'm not sweating. But I'm like, oh my God, my mental health is like grounded and I needed that. I needed that me time, that pause, that appreciation Mm -hmm. and that type of practice. And so it's, yeah, it's a journey. Um, It's my my health and wellness journey post cancer. (laughs) And I agree. It's nice to hear that you're in a similar space, that it doesn't happen the moment you finish treatment, you know, mm-hmm. we're a couple years out and we're still learning how to manage everything that we've gone through, the trauma that we've gone through. Yes. Going back to your surgery, because this is um, 
the first time that we're talking about it and I'm learning mm-hmm. a lot. So thank you for sharing one question. Sure. A couple questions that I'm curious about is how many surgeries did it entail? I feel like a lot of times we think okay. we're just going to have one surgery and we're like, wait, what do you mean? There's three more follow-ups, et cetera. Right. So how invasive and what's the protocol? Um, so depending on what the need is, because I would did all, everything together. Um, I had the mastectomy with the SCAP. So the surgery entailed the breast surgeon removing my breast, and then they had to flip me. And the plastic surgeon with a partner came and removed the flaps from my backside, flipped me back over, and then built the breast. Um, what I love about it is that my breasts feel completely normal. They are warm. They're numb. Um, I don't have a lot of feeling in them. I was able to keep my nipples, but I know most women cannot. Um, that's been interesting learning about the women who get different tattoos, 3D, 4D tattoos, some guy named Vinny who I keep hearing about who does these fabulous tattoos of nipples. Um, I joked with my husband that, um, you know, the nipples are too perfect. They look like pieces of pepperoni slapped <laughs> on my breast. It's, it's just goofy. One nipple responds, but there's no sexual connection with it, but it responds. The other one's like, nah, I'm done. I'm dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, the surgery, the healing from that took a good four to eight weeks. Um, being a teacher, we schedule everything on our time off. So my summers were, and my breaks were cancer, mm-hmm. cancer treatments. Um, this particular place, they do two surgeries. One is the initial one where we, you get everything done. So in the backside, I had what they called shark bites. I had divots in my hips. Um, my pants didn't stay up after that surgery because they needed to, to, to reconstruct my backside in the stage two. Um, they say stage two surgery is when it's about mm, four months or more after your stage one. And it is to take care of any fat necrosis, um, fill in anything more that needs to be filled in. Uh, they do liposuction to smooth things out. Um, they use that for fat grafting. Um, and with the SCAP, they do um, a butt lift. So those divots are fixed by lifting, resuturing everything together, and then smoothing it out with lipo from, I think it started just below my breasts and went down through my thighs. And then um, I chose not to be a larger size. I just want it to be a, like a 34C Mm-hmm. I want a very, you know, just very basic. I can fit into any bra. They'll stay perky. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't have to worry too much about gravity. Um, they also do, they do a breast list at that time. So before I went into this surgery, having met a mom, you know, my breasts weren't what they were, obviously, as I was in my 20s. And every surgeon before these guys said that I would not be able to keep my nipples because they were pointing down. And these guys were like, yeah, no, you can keep them. The, your cancer was nowhere near your nipples. The margins were clear. You didn't have lymph nodes involvement. You're fine. We'll keep your nipples. And I'm like, okay. And so in the stage two, they did a breast lift um, and filled in any gaps. So like I had some areas here where you could see, like kind of really see like the divots where my ribs, because 
what is interesting about this is one of the blood vessels um, they have to connect to is underneath a rib bone. So they remove part of your rib cartilage. So some of the pain can be in the bones a bit, and that eventually goes away. Some of the pain after the first surgery was nerve pain. Mm. So I felt like I was on fire. Um, I have a friend who just, who had a mastectomy and hers has not gone away. I'm forgetting the name for that. Um, it's a post mastectomy syndrome where your nerves don't settle down. Yeah. And I don't remember um, the name of that either, but I, re- I describe it as like these little like electric shocks, like your nerve yes. endings are trying to connect like the synapses, mm-hmm. I think. And like, but they don't because it's not there. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's there very are these, painful. yeah, shooting pains. I, I remember that happening to me. It just comes out out of nowhere. You could be driving, you could yes. be at the grocery store, you could be in the middle of a presentation, you could be teaching. I mean, and it's yes, horrifying. It um, is. It is. And mine painful. was continual. So it wasn't even the shock. It, it was four to six weeks after surgery, it went on. And then eventually, thankfully, faded away. Um, so in the stage two, that recovery was easier, but the liposuction was actually more painful than the surgery, interestingly enough. And But I had been prepared for that, having heard of other women who had it. So again, I had to tell the surgeon, don't go overboard. I don't want to deal with a lot of pain after this. Do what you need to do. But let's, we, I, I, I'm happy with how I am. Um, and, and he was respectful of that. And that's one of the things that I did like. The doctors did listen. They did say, it is easier for us to fill in more. He's like, I am going to give you more from the flap than you are expecting because then I can take it away. Got so it. don't be surprised if it's bigger than what you expect. That's much easier because fat grafting will absorb. You won't keep that fullness from a fat grafting from the liposuction. Um, You'll keep some of it, but it'll eventually be absorbed by the body where the fat flaps are completely different. So um, within about four weeks after that surgery, I was starting to, I was starting to feel normal. Um, And I've had, I've had no real issues since then. Um, I don't get mammograms because there are no, there's no breast tissue to do. While I was here in Kuala Lumpur, the breast surgeon, part of your, um, um, your care here is they just give you an automatically right in the doctor's office, give you the ultrasound. Mm. So they did the breast ultrasound. They found a cyst. They said, come back in six months. Let's double check it. Went back in six months. Right there, I got the, the immediate um, information right in the office. She looked at the cyst. She goes, nope, it's just a cyst. So that piece is nice. Um, it was also interesting to share with her about the surgery because it's not something that they do here. Right, right. She had not, yeah, she had not heard of the microsurgery. So um, that, that that's fascinating. Um, yeah. I, I'm I'm just very grateful for finding the doctors in New Orleans. I just really am. That's really great. And, you know, it's part of my own research now, too, that I'm learning about some of these microsurgeries um, as it relates to my own experience with lymphedema and the fact that I have this blockage where the lymph vessels had to be removed because they were the, the nodes were cancerous. But we needed to reattach the 
well, we haven't yet. That's why I have Vedima. But there's an option right. depending on, you know, if I qualify and depending, it's something I'm managing. It's something I'm going to have to manage for the rest of my life. And hopefully it does not get right. more exacerbated. But there are options for women to go and have these lymph vessels through these microsurgeries reattached. Yes. Um, and kind of like yes. make a bypass of, you know, this is where the obstruction is. Let's reattach depending on yes. you know, how much was taken out or even taking lymph nodes from other parts of your body and inserting them to kind of bridge that gap. So, you know, and I, think, I, I, I believe they're starting to do that too. Yeah. So there's a lot of, yes, you know, it's fascinating. health and science. I mean, it keeps evalu- evaluating and getting better and testing. And what I love about some of this podcasting too is teaching me, yes, there is a timestamp on it, right? Like we're referring to like our experience in 2016, 2017, we're in 2020 yes. right now, we're talking about cold caps, but just like year by year, it's like, wow, your story is capturing what was available then. Look at where we are now and the information right. that women can now go feeling empowered when they are talking to their doctors about, mm-hmm. you know, options for them. So that's really, right. really great. So one I, of the okay. really interesting, yeah, one of the really interesting things that I have found traveling um, is that the medical center that I'm going to here, which is no, it's top, top class, world class, um, no different than the States, except I can get my x-ray done. I can get my CAT scans done. I can get the mammogram done. And that same day, get my results. There's no waiting time. And that's one of the hardest parts about going through the breast cancer journey is you get your mammogram. Well, then you have to wait for the report, which is another week. And then you have to get a CAT scan. And then maybe you have to get the MRI. And it's more waiting and more scheduling. And it's very interesting to learn how other countries have simplified that process, knowing the fear and anxiety women are going through. And you take one day off of work and you have your results versus having these multiple days and, and you can get your, your treatments going faster. Yeah. The waiting is, I mean, it keeps you mm -hmm. up at night. You're not sleeping well. You're trying to function Mm -mm. at work. It's the anxiety is through the roof. Um, that's, that's amazing. Yes. I'm so glad to hear that that's been that ex- your experience in mm-hmm. Kuala Lumpur and something maybe we can learn and adopt here in the yeah, United I know. States. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast, You're sharing welcome. your story. I feel like we could talk for another like two to three we hours. Um, <laughs> how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your story or ask questions? So, okay. So my email is hwintrip4 at gmail.com. So email is the best way. Um, I am on Instagram. Um, I think it's at Holly B. Wintrip. I have not started a blog. It's just something this, this, you're the one who encouraged me to start writing first. And you and you and a friend. And I saw that and I went, all right, I'm going to sit down and try this. Um, There's been so much that happened in those five years between the cancer diagnosis, my daughter getting married, moving away from home, um, losing my parents. My life right now is not exactly what I thought it would be. Even five years ago, I thought I'd still be in Florida being a mom to my daughter and, and just living my life and teaching. Um, and with, when we have so much happen, it's hard to even parse out where to begin to tell our story because it can be too much for people. 
you know, we know that there are people who stick with us and people who can't, who just fall away and that's okay. Um, and you, you and a, a friend of mine that I met here were the ones who inspired me to just, to just oh. write this down. Yes. And then when you said you wanted to do the podcast, I'm like, okay, I can do this. And I've been an advocate with the, um, and talking with women going in for surgery through the center in New Orleans. So I'm one of a connection there um, and other women who I've spoken with. And I just, I love talking to other women and helping them through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm always open for mm-hmm. people to, to reach out always. Thank you. And I think you bring up a great point too, that we don't need to go through cancer and immediately start a blog, start a nonprofit, write a book, mm-hmm. like five years, 10 years, 20 years down the line. Um, you know, that might be when you're comfortable sharing and talking yes. and that's okay. Yes. And then I'm so glad and, you came across our organization also because our blog, well, I do a lot of the writing is a community blog. We have guest writers all of the time. So mm-hmm. don't feel like you have to go out and start your own. If there is something that you feel like right. sharing and you would like it to be published, um, we're more than happy to support that because other people are going through this. You know, we have like I'm now in a situation where like I can't have children. I can't necessarily, I can write educationally about what it's like to have breast cancer while going through pregnancy and talk about like the tips and recommendations through research, mm-hmm. but I can't talk about my own personal experience where someone else can. And that is value to the community. Someone else might Absolutely. not be able to talk about the type of surgery that you had. And so, you know, that's mm-hmm. value or losing loved ones and family when it rains up pours. Like, why is this confluence yes. of trauma happening? Let's talk about that because you're not the only mm-hmm. one going through that. And so through no. survivingbreastcancer.org with our blogs, like that's that, that, kind of holistic picture we're it trying is. to paint around it's fabulous. breast cancer. So thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to have you part of You're our welcome, community, Laura. your support. And I know this is just the beginning of many more conversations. So thank you. Yes. Thank you, Laura. All right. Have a great night. I'll talk to you soon. You too. Okay. Bye. 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 Thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. If you would like to find out more about our organization and upcoming events and ways to connect, you can find out more by visiting our website at survivingbreastcancer.org. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast is from personal experiences and it is not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always consult your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, feel free to contact me directly at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. And of course, we have a couple social media handles you can follow us at as well. For example, survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, as well as our podcast specifically, Breast Cancer Conversations. Until next time, keep on thriving.